0: Happy Monday and welcome to Detroit today on WDET 1019FM WDET.org online. I'm Sandra Sobota hosting a special edition today where we are just gonna talk trash. WDET recently aired a feature as part of our Curiosity series, and it was about the Detroit Renewable Power Detroit Renewable Powers Waste to Energy facility commonly known as the Detroit Incinerator. So that piece answered a question, one that we got from a listener, about the smell that sometimes wafts over surrounding neighborhoods from that facility, which is right at the I-94, I-75 exchange downtown here. So we got a lot of feedback about the piece. Some of it was positive. People learned something from it. But other listeners and online readers told us that it really didn't describe the full scope of, frankly, the controversy surrounding the facility. So that was not the objective of that piece, but we thought it would be a good time to revisit the issues and further explore the complexities of it. So this hour, we're going to talk at length with experts on these issues and open the phone lines for anyone to participate in the conversation. So we invited company officials to be part of this live program. They were unable to join us today But over the weekend, I spoke with the president and chairman of the board of Detroit Renewable Energy. That's the parent company of the facility. So here is my conversation with Stephen White. Why do you think there is so much discussion and really so much controversy about your facility here in Detroit? I
1: think that there's a lot of good things to discuss because what we've done is really revitalize two assets in the city that are extremely important yet have fallen into disrepair. The discussion that I feel is is one of uh, relief that we've taken these very important assets and rehabilitated them and now have them working as they they should, which is delivering renewable energy throughout the city in important institutions that are civic, uh, important businesses, and so on. The controversy that uh, I'm also aware of Uh, in my opinion, is in large part due to a lack of understanding about exactly what we do.
0: But now's your chance. What are some of the biggest, as you say, lack of understanding about the facility?
1: Well, let's start with what it's commonly called, which is scientifically and practically different from what it really is and what it does.
0: Okay, so Um, I I just want to point out, I, I have been saying facility out of respect for you, but the word around town is incinerator. So that's yeah, what people well, know it as, and I know that you take some issue with that.
1: Well, it's not that I take issue with it. It's, uh, it's a name that I prefer they not use only. It's because it's just wrong. The incineration, the definition of, is to burn something and not recapture anything from the burning process. Uh, that couldn't be further from the truth of what actually takes place in our facility. When we burn waste that would otherwise be landfilled, when we burn that waste, uh, not only do we recover metal from that waste stream, but we produce steam from that uh, that burning process, and that steam is used to do do things. It is used to drive a turbine, to create electricity, and it's also, it travels through 39 miles of pipe to provide heating throughout Midtown and downtown Detroit for buildings like the Ren Center, uh, the Hamtramck, Automotive plant uses steam from Detroit Renewable Energy for all this manufacturing process. DMC, the hospital, Henry Ford, a facility there. So uh, we play a major role in uh, providing energy throughout the city. That's not incineration. That is energy from a renewable source.
0: So just like you take issue with people just calling it an incinerator, um, there are people out here in Detroit that take issue with you referring to uh, the city's garbage as a renewable source of energy, feeling that's unfair to compare it to wind or solar because at, at the end of it, you're producing this energy from the city's waste, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. So the waste would, but for us taking this waste, and extracting renewable energy from it, it would go to the landfill, and it would, um, I'm not sure what it would become in 20 or 30 years buried underground, but uh, we are producing something from a discarded material. So it's not, here's the important thing to understand. It's not our definition. It's the EPA's definition. It's the state of Michigan's definition. It's it's uh, every major uh, Renewable Energy Association throughout the world. This isn't just a plant that's in the city of Detroit. Renewable energy plants like ours are all across Europe. They're all across Asia. I mean, and they're in other parts of the United States.
0: So going to what you say about burning the waste, talk about where that, how much waste that is and where that waste comes from.
1: Well, we get approximately 3,300 tons of waste a day. What what we're able to do is really extract from that about um, 30 tons of metal a year. So not only do we produce energy uh, on a renewable basis, but we also recycle. We pull recyclable materials directly from the waste stream, probably more than any entity in Detroit uh, and in the state of Michigan. So, uh, again, there are people that don't want to accept the fact that we recycle. In fact, think that we're in the way of recycling, but nothing can be further from the truth. We are a recycling facility. Well, so now, the, let, the let, me rem- inter- let me
0: interrupt you there for a second because I'm, I can't do the math that fast in my head here. You said 3,300 tons a day come into the facility, but 30 tons of metal go out in a year? That doesn't sound like a really big ratio.
1: Well, it's it's a higher ratio than anyone else.
0: And, and it wouldn't be recycled uh, so, otherwise, right? Because it, people are leaving it in their curbside garbage. That's right. Okay. Exactly right. Are there other things so, that are recycled uh, out of the facility?
1: What's recycled out of that facility is um, is energy from the, from the remaining portion of the waste. That's a key part that people just seem not to want to give attribution to. Energy is recycled from the remaining waste. That's a fact. So there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, electricity that's generated. We basically receive and process over 850,000 tons of municipal waste every year. And from that, we produce 260,000 megawatts of electricity. And we also produce uh, steam from the remaining amount. And there's an average of 850,000 tons, therefore, that avoids going to uh, to the landfill each year, thanks to us. You know, all the customers that receive our steam in Midtown and downtown, their carbon footprint is 50% lower than what it would be if they were burning natural gas.
0: And the garbage it's would have a- to get to the landfill, so it would also be being transported, not only also taking energy, but then remaining in the landfill as well, right?
1: Exactly. And and the, the pipeline, we built a pipe from the Waste Energy Facility, directly to the GM Hamtramck plant. And we provide steam to that plant. And the steam that we provide just in that one pipe from our plant to General Motors accounts for about 12% of GM's global renewable energy budget. When people say that's an incinerator and that's all it is and that's all it does, nothing can be further from the truth. Now that's not to mention The employees that we have, we have over 300 employees in in our collective facilities. And these jobs that we provide, these are like the poster child of jobs for many Detroit residents. They don't have a high barrier to entry, yet you can come in with very little educational requirement and you can have a career path. The average length of time of the employee at Detroit Renewable Energy is 10 years. These are very good-paying jobs. They have a, a runway for growth, and people learn skills at these jobs.
0: Can you tell so me of it, Can you tell me of those three hundred employees? How many live in the city of Detroit?
1: Um, I don't have the exact percentage off the top of my head. I can I can certainly get that to you, but I it's it's a meaningful amount. Uh, one of the things that happens often is that because we pay a very good wage. Some people don't remain in the city of Detroit, but, but people are proud to work there. It's a, uh, as I mentioned, it is an opportunity for skill enhancement and uh, and, a tra- and a career trajectory. So that's one of the, we're one of the few places where that can actually take place in the city. The other thing that people tend to forget about is we didn't build that facility. This is, came out of the Coleman Young administration, and, and I think, frankly, it was a bit far-sighted for him to think along these lines. And we didn't build the, uh, the facility that process and distributes the steam. Uh, that was built by, uh, by DTE in 1903. The waste energy facility was built in the 80s, and the steam distribution system was built at the turn of the century, 1900s. What we've done is taking these, these legacy assets that have fallen into disrepair, and we have, have really breathed life into them, to function as they should function, the in, in a well-planned, strategic way, to provide renewable energy to government, to industry, and to uh, and to institutions. You know, there weren't a lot of a lot of people investing in Detroit in 2010.
0: Right when, invested, when your parent company purchased the facility, is what you're referring to, right?
1: Exactly. We invested over 60 million dollars in the city of Detroit when very few people were writing any checks. That's how much we believe in the city of Detroit. So we, we have a strong financial commitment. We've never said we're a perfect organization. We strive for perfection. And I believe that in striving for perfection, you will be an above average to excellent organization. And that's what I believe that we are. And that's what we will continue to focus on.
0: You are listening to Detroit Today on WDET. We're 1019 FM and WDET.org online. I'm Sandra Swoboda, sitting in today as host. And we're talking with Steve White. He's president and chairman of the Detroit Renewable Energy Company, which is the parent company of the facility, many people call the incinerator we are having a discussion about many issues one of which is the name of it but steve let me ask you this you mentioned about how you know you're not a perfect company and we certainly understand that we live in a complex world and for everything we do as humans on the planet this these days there's a byproduct so i want to dig into two of those of your facility here in detroit one is the air quality conditions and i want to talk a little bit about the monitoring that goes on and the other part of that is the odor that people smell. So, one relating to air quality in terms of numbers and measurements. The other one relating to air quality of quality of life as the downtown, midtown, and surrounding neighborhoods uh, populate and repopulate here in the city. Take us through where you are now in terms of monitoring the air quality, and then we'll talk about odor next.
1: M- MDQ is the go- is is um, the state's. Uh, governing organization related to our business operations,
0: and you're currently so negotiating consent order with them now.
1: We are in frequent dialogue with MDQ because of the nature of our business. We are always trying to uh, to better the relationship that we have with not only MDQ but their EPA mandates that we have to meet and the surrounding community. the The larger picture. Of the the measurement points that we have in, in terms of ha- the the daily operation of our business, we feel that we run a very tight ship. But as I mentioned, we're not a perfect organization, so we're we're constantly engaged with MDQ and and they with us. You know, as as they are monitoring us, uh, we monitor ourselves. But what's more importantly is that they monitor us as well. And whenever there is a, a need for us to, to have conversations about our operations, we're, we're always happy to do that. If there's a way that they can suggest that we can improve things that we don't know about, we're certainly open-minded. But at the end of the day, we are incented because uh, we're a professional organization. And, and really, the, the efficiency of our, of our organization is, is important to us, but not to the point where we sacrifice our corporate responsibility. So we're focused on, on how we uh, uh, operate as well. So, uh, wait,
0: so I want to I I get you back on the proposed consent order, though, because there was a public meeting last month here in Detroit, and that's been kind of under discussion since late in 2016. Where are you guys with that consent order, and when might we have one finalized?
1: This is really a question for MDQ. I mean, there's, there's a public hearing on that. We have constant dialogue about that. That particular consent order, it it has um, uh, not been finalized because it's it's uh, it's a it's a complicated process, and we've just come out of of the hearing. And so, when they're ready to to finalize that, it'll be final. So this is this isn't really a question for me. It's really a question for them. Their process. You, the, they had the hearing. Do you object? The public- do you object to comments? what
0: they've proposed in terms of? I believe it's about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in fines, and then the continued self monitoring monitoring that you guys do about your emissions quality.
1: Um, we have uh, we have given our reaction to their um, their proposals, and um, and that's that's all I'm going to say on that matter.
0: Okay, so it is it's a continuing negotiation, as it relates to the air quality and what's measured from the emissions. But let's talk about the odor, because that's really what we hear from people here. Our studios are nearby, uh, people in the area. It's been well documented and lots of complaints, especially on the warmer days, about the smell that comes from the facility. Talk about it from your point of view over there.
1: Well, let's start with what it is. It's waste, okay? It's municipal solid waste. It's the same waste that's in the garbage can behind your house. And when you go out to that garbage can and you lift up that lid, and if you were to get close to that can, it's probably not a good smell. The thing that I think people need to understand is that we don't create the smell. The smell comes to us from your garbage. Now, what we do is we process that waste as fast as we can. We have installed equipment, millions of dollars spent on equipment, $6 million worth of equipment within the past two years to try to uh, contain the odor that arrives with the waste that comes to us. And the other thing that's important to understand is that we have zero economic incentive for it to remain sitting such that it uh, emits uh, odor uh, from our facility because we process it to produce energy. And when we process it and we sell the energy, that's how we get paid. So we're not um, smelling so, the we're
0: not smelling the burning. We're smelling the waste that's coming into the facility and waiting to be burned and to, to be turned to the energy that's for correct. the area. Okay.
1: Where is no, there's no smell, there's no there's, there's no odors coming out of the chimney or the or the stack. Those are the odors of the waste that leaves the homes and the institutions that, that bring it to us.
0: And where does that waste you know? come from? Just the city of Detroit or are you taking it in from other municipalities?
1: Uh, the majority of our waste comes from the city of Detroit. And there are I know there's some confusion about that point. It is within the City of Detroit that majority of our waste comes from. And there's some waste that comes from outside Detroit. But I think the important thing is that the fifty percent carbon footprint reduction that comes from those that use our energy. All those facilities are in Detroit.
0: We've got just a minute or so here left to talk, Stephen, and I want to give you a kind of a look forward with the kind of facility that you have, the using municipal waste to turn it to energy. Where's the technology going, and where do you see this industry headed in five or ten years?
1: Well, I mean, we at the end of the day, uh, we are a we're part of the solid waste management chain. And we're also a creator and distributor of energy. And um, I think that there's some, there's some really creative things on the energy front that, uh, that we're involved in. For example, I mean, the, the biggest example was the, the, the pipeline that we built using our own funds from our waste plant directly into GM. You know, increasingly we're we're being asked by developers, by corporations. They come to us with very you know strategic questions about how to solve energy problems within their facilities. That's what we're spending a lot of time
0: doing. But if so I'm we'll, if, can, but if, we'll if I'm we'll looking can, at that from kind of an incentive standpoint, it's we're we're missing one of the R's in what we hear from the environmental groups in the reduce, reuse, recycle. There's not really an incentive. For anywhere to be reducing the output of of garbage that they have, the the reuse and reduce side of it, and instead coming in to your facility for the incineration to turn it to energy?
1: I, I respond to that in two ways. Okay, first of all, we are not the panacea for recycling. Individuals and others need to take responsibility for that themselves. We already recycle we recycle, as I mentioned, about 30 tons of metal a year from the waste stream so we're not in the way of recycling. The other thing that again people are losing track of and I've mentioned it throughout this this this, um, this show is that we are renewable. we are taking something that otherwise would be discarded and we are creating value if anyone, refuses to acknowledge that is because you simply don't want to know the truth
0: okay that was my conversation over the weekend with stephen white he is the president and chairman of the board of detroit renewable energy that is the company that purchased what we commonly call the incinerator the facility that burns trash from the area and turns it into energy for downtown and midtown like to invite you to join the conversation. We have some guests in the studio who have plenty to say about what they just heard. And we want to hear from you as well. 313-577-1019. Stay with us on Detroit Today. We're going to talk some more trash in just a moment. You're listening to Detroit today on WDET, we're 1019 FM WDET.org on the internet. You can also stream us through your mobile app, um, which is a popular way to do it now at my household, I will say. So I want to thank you for joining us as we're talking a little trash. We want you to join the conversation about the facility in Detroit that burns garbage and turns it to energy, commonly known as the incinerator. Called a waste to energy facility by company officials. And I have three guests joining me in studio now to talk about what they just heard in that conversation with the company official and also give their opinions and thoughts about that facility and how we manage our garbage. So, first, I'd like to welcome Nick Schreck, he's the director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic at Wayne State. Nick. Welcome to Detroit Today. So let's talk to you first, and then we'll bring in Guy Williams from Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice and Rachel Clegan from Green Living Science. So we'll get to you two in just a second. But, Nick, the question was raised, and we had a couple callers come in asking about air quality Coming out of the incinerator, what do we know about what's coming out of those chimneys?
2: Air pollution, and that means that they have to have, they have to monitor and they have to report the type of air pollutants that they emit. Um, things like particulate matter, and particulate matter is important because that is a type of air pollution that exacerbates asthma, particularly in children and in the elderly. And we see rates of asthma in the neighborhoods surrounding the incinerator that are much higher than Michigan in general um, and much, you know, much much higher than what we even have in within the city of Detroit. You have higher asthma rates right there near the incinerator. Um, well,
0: how Can we pin that on the incinerator? I know we have a map online, we'll have it today, of a lot of pollution sources in the city and surrounding
2: Sure. So saying causation, saying that someone's asthma is the the direct result of pollution from the incinerator um, is is a a difficult thing to prove, at at least with legal proof. But um, let's just say that it's a major source of air pollution. It's a contributing factor and that we have the at least anecdotal evidence that in the neighborhood surrounding the incinerator, we have higher rates of asthma. Um, So according to EPA, 7,280 people live within one mile of the facility. And of those, 87% are people of color and 60% are people living below the federal poverty line. So that means you have poor people, people without as much access to good quality health care that are getting socked with pollution from this facility. Now, as far as air quality violations, going back to 2015 and 2016, the facility was cited for 21 odor violations from the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality and 19 air pollution violations, which these are under the Clean Air Act, regulated by RDEQ here in Michigan, but pursuant to federal law that's enforced by the EPA, and those 19 violations are what is subject to that consent order that, that Mr. White talked about and that, that you had in your interview, where they're trying to address those violations by paying a, a monetary penalty and then also perhaps making some changes to the way they operate their facility. Um, from where I sit here today, in my perspective, the the proposed fine is, is too minimal. It's um, It doesn't effectively... Um, Help the community recover from that pollution that was illegally discharged from the facility.
0: What's your biggest concern about that facility?
2: Well, there's a there's a lot. You got it. Um, you got to name one. <laughs> I got to name one. Well, I would say the the inability of the facility to consistently operate within its permits and to consistently operate under the law. That is my biggest concern. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting is Mr. White talked about. amount of metal that they pull out to recycle out of the facility. Um, He didn't mention plastics and paper and cardboard and other feedstocks that are completely recyclable materials where there's some value there. Um, It's our understanding that most of that material is not pulled out of their waste stream and it's just sent up the chimney. Um, And it's true it does generate electricity and it does generate steam, but you have to question whether or not that's the best way to deal with our waste when we are not aggressively recycling. And that's the difference between these facilities in Europe. He mentions facilities even in China and Asia. <laughs> Typically, they have very aggressive recycling programs. And the only stuff that really is going up through, through, through the, the burners and through the incinerator are materials that otherwise cannot be recycled. And, th- and that's a key point. Here, we're actually burning that stuff rather than recovering it and recycling it.
0: All right. I want to go to Guy Williams from Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice. You've been, I can tell by your facial expressions, you want to get in this conversation. So I I don't even know if I have to ask you a question. Where does your organization come in with uh, the facility here?
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me. And uh, on behalf of my colleagues, have us on here. Um, First, I want to mention our coalition, Zero Waste Detroit. We started several years ago with the intention of addressing this whole issue of the facility in the center of town that basically, as Mr. White pointed out, it's using 1903 technology is the bottom line of it all. The system of pipe, steam, and so forth was created back then, and we think there's a better way, and Nick already hit on it in terms of waste management as a total stream. There's commodities involved. Um, Several years ago, our coalition put forth a business model that was endorsed by the city council unanimously. And the fundamental principle of that was to ramp up recycling and to try to pull out of the waste stream as much that has value and can be remanufactured through clean manufacturing and capturing employment tax base and things like that in the city. Another point is that the legal structure... You need to really understand the big picture of the regulatory structure for all air emissions. Just last week, our coalition, the Community Action to Promote Healthy Environments, released our report where we've studied the air quality collectively in Detroit and downriver communities, and there's some very startling information that's brand new. First of all, two to three people a day in our region are dying. And we know that they're dying attributed to exposures to bad air quality.
0: From a variety of sources we have It's here. a mixture of sources.
3: Yeah. And so just to be clear, this particular facility downtown is, is a big part of that soup of, of pollutants. And one of the, the limitations of our regulatory structure is that it's set up in a manner it doesn't take into account the interactive effect. And that's why the point that Nick raised is so important about the performance. Um, This facility has had different types of violations, more than 300 violations in less than two years' time.
0: And we are waiting for that consent order to see if that will help with anything. I know that's being negotiated. Um, I want to bring Rachel Clegan into the conversation now. She is with a group called Green Living Science, and they do environmental education in the city, in the schools. And Rachel, I'm actually really curious how you talk about the incinerator, about what it does in taking trash, making energy. How do you describe that to the students um, who may be living within its shadow?
4: Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me here. I'm very happy to be a part of the conversation this morning. Uh, with Green Living Science, we were invited into the schools to talk about recycling and to uh, provide environmental education. So the first part about talking about recycling is really talking about where does our waste go. Uh, one of our favorite questions to ask is when you when you put your trash at the curb, what happens? It doesn't just go away. So that that's where that's our starting point. Um so we do talk about where it goes we talk about how most of the rest of the state the our trash goes into the landfill and how much um money we're losing by sending our our trash to the landfill and then we talk about how in Detroit we do burn our trash and what i usually say to the students and and to adults is that it's great technology that we have um they're they're using this technology all over the world to to burn trash to make energy However, when we put the wrong things in that facility, then we, are, we, have the, um, we can be creating air pollution. So what we're really trying to do is teach kids to have, even before recycling, to have a good understanding of what those materials are. So it's important that we teach them not just that plastic goes in the recycling, but that plastic is petroleum-based so they understand why is it, why is it a poor choice to burn things that are petroleum-based and why is it? Uh, because then we can create pollution in the air so we, if we want to take care of our own health um, but just as we teach kids who live right around the incinerator the waste to energy facility we also uh, teach kids who live right around the um, marathon facility so we you know we are very sensitive to what what we tell these kids and what's really gonna help their future Okay. I want
0: to go to the phones. Uh everybody here wants to jump in, too. I'll get back to you guys, the guests, in a moment, but I want to go to the phones. Um, we have Daniel, who has been listening to the conversation and wants to weigh in. Daniel, welcome to Detroit Today.
5: Hello. Thank you for having me on again. I think this is two weeks in a row. Um, I was involved in the uh, uh, protest against the incinerator about 10 years ago, and, and we were very successful in uh, Getting the attention of Kwame Kilpatrick on his way out the door, and he actually uh, denied renewing uh, the permit for the incinerator. And then Bing stepped in and renewed it for whatever reason he thought was best. But um, my question is: is uh, is there a limit on the amount of plastic that they're allowed to burn? Is there a percentage limit? And also, you know, I've always been concerned about the schools surrounding the facility and why they haven't been forced to put some sort of an air monitoring box on the playground. It just seems like it's a ridiculous thing that they're doing that close to elementary schools. And I'll take my answer off the air.
0: Okay, Nick Schreck has an answer for you.
2: So there's there's several things there, and, and I think you raise a lot of really key points. I mean, first, going back to the Kilpatrick administration and the Bing administration, um, what was going on there is you actually had a a transfer of ownership of this facility from, I I believe it was a company called Covanta, which was then sold to Detroit Renewable Power, the investment group that now operates the facility. And it did actually shut down for, um, I think, a few weeks. Um, This is back in like, 2010 2011 somewhere in that time frame and and don't quote me on the dates, but but back several years ago and What we learned with that shutdown was that actually they could continue to generate enough steam to power all these buildings That they always talk about they have um, natural gas generators that they burn and they can generate steam if the incinerator is not Functioning and so um, you don't actually need to burn trash to generate steam. There's other ways to do that now Of course, there's issues with burning natural gas as well, but we, we won't get into it today um, And then the other thing about air monitoring so air monitoring is very important and The problem with air monitors is that they are expensive. And if you've been paying attention to the news in Michigan over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we have not been investing in our Department of Environmental Quality. In particular, our air quality division of the DEQ is is not well-funded, and they do not have the resources to put these air monitors in places like the playgrounds and schools um, next to the facility. So one of the things that we consistently try and point out, through our Transnational Environmental Law Clinic at the Law School and the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center is that part of a consent order, an appropriate thing to do, is to require air monitoring around these facilities, put them on the fence line um, outside the facility, and put it at the neighboring properties. Um, And the final thing I'll say is that there is some air filtering technology that can be installed in schools, and we've seen that as part of consent orders um, at the Salinas Elementary School in southwest Detroit from a U.S. Steel consent order. That type of thing also should be on the table. If this facility continues to violate its permit, they need to provide some sort of protection for kids in those schools that are downwind from the facility.
0: Okay, I want to go back to the phones. Vaughn in Detroit uh, has had a front-row seat to some of this. Vaughn, welcome to Detroit Today.
6: Yes, how are you doing today?
0: Good. Tell us your yeah. tell us your story here.
6: Well, basically, I worked at GM Plan Security for approximately six years, and um, on the weekends it was very interesting that the – The smell would change uh, over the period of during the week would be fine. On the weekends, we don't know what in the world they were burning. It would make us very, very sick. I'd have to go to try to hide in the plant somewhere. Um, It was just very terrible. My main question is about all this is that, say, we have all these violations. What is Mayor Duggan doing about it, and can we somehow – is there something that's going to be going on to where on your end I can sign up for something to – Mayor go the, the mayor to uh, take more action on these infractions on that place, because it is working across there. I know what these people now are suffering, and it is horrible.
0: So the political dynamic of the incinerator, we talked about a past mayoral administration earlier in the history of the facility, but what about it as an issue in the 2017 campaign, not just for the mayor, but for city council, Guy Williams?
3: Hi. Thanks a lot for the question. Um, again, there are several pieces there. I want to start out with one of the most important ways the public can get involved and help, actually, the regulatory agency um, do their job. As Nick said, they, they're short on resources. There's a phone number that you can call that we really urge you to call to report really bad smells and describe them. That number is 313 456 Four seven one two.
0: All right, we'll get that up on our website, too, for you. Thank you very much.
3: Um, And I want to speak to a political framing, and that is that for those who may not be familiar with the regulatory system, there's three layers of it, primarily your federal level, your state level, and your local level. The Clean Air Act is our federal overarching law, but every other level can set more strict standards if they so choose. So one of the, the initiatives that Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice is involved in, we have an array of colleagues, sister groups with us called the Detroit Environmental Agenda. And we will be looking to raise this dialogue all through the election season. So look out for our material. And what we want to see the mayor and city council members do is step up and be more assertive around how to protect our health.
4: I think it is important to remember that uh, the facility is a a private company. So when we're talking about how to engage governmental officials, uh, what I see really is the best is is through regulation. Um, So how we're doing this through the EPA, how we're working with DEQ. Um, And... uh, and how we're engaging these private companies because this is one example of um, many private companies around our city and state that we could all be working a lot closer with to make sure that our, our health is better for the city.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET. That was in reverse order Rachel Clegan from Green Living Science. and. Guy Williams from Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice. I'm also in studio with Nick Schreck. He's the director of the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic. I'm Sandra Sabota hosting. We are Talking Trash, and we are going to come back in just a moment with more of your calls. Give us a ring. Tell us your story. 313-577-1019.
3: News,
1: music, culture, and community every day.
0: Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET,
5: Detroit's public radio station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET, 1019 FM, WDET.org online. I'm Sandra Swoboda talking trash with you today. What do we do with our garbage? Well, in the city of Detroit and uh, in a lot of the surrounding communities, That waste that you put out on the curb comes downtown. It goes to a facility where it is burned and turned to energy, Um, creates some power for Midtown downtown area, dozens of buildings here, but also raises questions about the efficiency of it, the pollution that's coming out, a byproduct of the burning. And I have three guests in studio here who have all been part of this complex discussion that we're going to continue here. We'd also like to hear from you. 313-577-1019. 313-577-1019. What's your thought about the incinerator, the waste-to-energy facility? What do you do with your garbage? How diligent are you about recycling? I mean, this is really a big world view and an issue that we all have. So I want to talk a little bit about how we're getting information about what's going into that incinerator. Nick Schreck, we've heard some fa- some facts and figures from different people during this hour about how much waste goes there and what comes out. How do we get that information? How can people get that information? How can we do a better job reporting about what's going on at that facility?
2: Well, it's, it's first of all, it's not super easy to find this information, and I don't know that that is intentional, but it certainly has the effect of making it difficult to find it out. So um, what, what we've done is we've looked at the solid waste reports that any of these solid waste disposal facilities, including um, the Waste Energy Facility Detroit Incinerator, they have to submit reports with their county. And so we can look at these county reports and then those reports go up to the state of Michigan and we can track waste, how much waste is being disposed of at different facilities um, and what types of waste. And so one thing that's interesting is in 2015, 66% of the household waste that went to the incinerator came from Oakland County. So 66% of the waste, this is 2015 numbers, um, 19% came from Wayne County. And another thing to just point out is that all of these Customer communities that are sending trash the garbage trucks to the incinerator they negotiate different rates for we call these tipping fees. That's when the truck backs up and tips the garbage onto the scale, and depending on how much it weighs, you get charged a certain rate. Okay, so for my contra- contract, the city of Detroit pays twenty five dollars per ton to dispose of garbage at the incinerator. Okay, so Detroit residents are paying twenty five bucks a ton to dispose of waste there. Um, looking at a report that we got from the Greater Detroit Resource Recovery Authority or Gidra. They estimated the disposal fees for all of these other communities, so Oakland County communities, Macomb County communities, Washington County, uh, you name it. They're, they're paying approximately $15 per ton to dispose of waste there. So in effect, the city of Detroit is actually subsidizing waste coming in from out, outside communities and then dealing with the burden of the pollution from that waste being burned here in Detroit. So more waste coming in from outside counties higher fees paid by city Detroit residents to dispose of their waste at the facility in the city of Detroit.
0: Guy Williams, your organization is Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice. This might be a leading question. Is there justice in what Nick just said about those costs?
3: Well, of course, absolutely not. Um, to pay almost 50% more per ton to help poison your city. That's just crazy. Um, I, I want to speak a little bit about the problem overall and why this all matters We you know, as I mentioned before the this I still call it the incinerator. they want us to call it something different. I could just call it a trash burner I mean bottom line, the notion of using heat to generate steam to generate other um create other amenities that's fine in and of itself. You can do that with solar power so I'm not here really to argue about the technology, but I want people to understand, for example, as Rachel mentioned, when the plastic is burned, what happens? You create byproducts such as mercury releases, dioxin releases, furan releases, different kinds of chemicals. The whole family of chemicals gets into our fish and our food chain. People, people don't know that there are levels of, of fish advisories on every single... Body of water in the Great Lakes to limit how much fish that we think it's healthy to eat.
0: So that's a, I, I like that way of making a direct connection for people. I think sometimes these issues are so big and so complex that it's hard to bring them down to what it means in your everyday life. And Rachel, that's your business at Green Living Science. How how do you teach us from your from you teaching the children? How can we all learn more about this issue and, and understand these things better?
4: Sure. And. Well, and I also wanted to um, go back to the idea of the where our trash comes from because we are doing a lot of education in Detroit to... Teach about recycling and to teach about reduce and reuse. And we Detroit now does have curbside recycling, and we've been increasing the amount of curbside bins on the street. We almost we have just about twenty percent of the households that can recycle do have a recycling bin right now, and because of that, we have seen a slight decrease in the amount of trash that goes that Detroit sends to the waste to energy incinerator. Um, we've seen almost uh, about three hundred and forty tons decrease. That goes. That's being burned in the incinerator from our curb, from the trash that's picked up at our curb in one year. Um, so, what? Although we've been doing a wonderful job, and we've seen that education is able to actually help change habits. If we don't have these other levels of legislation um, to protect from other areas, then then we we aren't helping ourselves as a state.
0: I want to remind everyone you're listening to Detroit Today on WDET. I'm Sandra Swoboda. We are talking trash. I just like saying that (laughs) 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 because you don't get to say that often on public radio. (laughs) But we are talking about, I mean, really a serious issue of what we do with our garbage. And in Detroit, much of it gets burned turned into energy. Maybe not the greenest kind for the city of Detroit, but that's what we have, and that's what's done for surrounding communities. Early in the program, we heard from an official from the company that owns the incinerator. We talked with Stephen White. He's president and chairman of Detroit Renewable Energy. And we did invite officials from the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality to be on the show, and they declined. Uh, Mr. White had a conflict with doing it live, but we talked to him over the weekend and played that interview earlier. So I want to I want to kind of stick on this. what What can people do in their everyday lives, if they have a concern about the environment, if they have a concern about how their garbage is disposed of, what what are the best things? Guy Williams from Detroiters Working for Environmental Justice.
3: Um, Thanks, Sandra. I would say there's two levels. There's the short-term, immediate things people can do, and that is that you can actively recycle. If you go to um, the Zero Waste Detroit website, zerowastedetroit.org, you can register to get recycling bins and information on how to do that. As Rachel mentioned already, our recycling rate has gone from less than 10% of households in 2013, to our most recent numbers right around 20%. So we're really picking up speed um, nicely. We really wanna get up to around 80 or 90% participation of households. Um, so that's the first thing you can do. And what? I wanted to go back to the political question too, because there are some specific timeline opportunities out there. In 2019, the contracts between the city and all the waste haulers will be renewed. So it's going to be really important that the city add elements to those contracts that require commercial operations to be able to have recycling door to door, the same as we now have for houses. That will really make a big difference. So for people to speak up, ask for those kind of things from city government is really important.
4: So political pressure, Rachel, what else? Um, Education, I I think that it's, sometimes we can almost do more harm than good if we don't understand what we're really um, lobbying for. So I think that it's really important that we understand the full story. I I would love to see a really in-depth, report about the difference between incinerators and landfills and what trucking usage brings into it. And so that even if we don't just change one thing, that we're understanding how the ripple effect and how that affects our whole ecosystem. And that's where I would like to see our our focus go.
0: So you mentioned that ripple effect, and so did Lucy on Facebook. So I want to read her comment and have uh, one or all of you <laughs> respond. Uh, Lucy says, can you please address the noise pollution that is happening in addition to the awful air pollution? It sounds like a plane is about to land on your house, and it lasts for hours several times a week. The state hotline from the Department of Environmental Quality only addresses air pollution and the city has no recourse for residents to make complaints of this nature about the noise. So we talk about the air, we talk about the smell. What about the noise? Nick Schreck.
2: Well, noise, (coughs) excuse me, noise is a recognized type of uh, pollution. Uh, Noise is also an issue that can be addressed through local zoning and through complaints to the city of Detroit. So the city of Detroit can enforce, um, if there are noise events uh, that are louder than the facility is permitted to actually operate depending on where, it, where it's uh, the zoning, where it's located and all of that. Um, but absolutely making a complaint to the city of Detroit, uh, to the building safety engineering environment department uh, or, or, or um, group within, within the city of Detroit, that is a great place to go and ask, ask the city to send out an inspector and to look at whether or not the noise is actually at a level of decibels that are higher than what they're, they're allowed to actually um, operate under. Um, and just real quickly on on some ideas, suggestions for us to reduce our own waste, um, you know, one very key point, and Rachel and Guy both hit on this, um, is that there's a lot of chemicals and things that we have in our households that are very dangerous. They're actually hazardous chemicals we have in cleaning products and solvents and things that we shouldn't just be throwing into the garbage and then expecting that they're, they're going to be taken care of appropriately. In fact, a lot of that stuff actually goes up the stack here at the, here at the incinerator. And so making sure that you pull out um, cleaners, solvents, A a lot of our our, uh, cosmetics and beauty products, those types of things, also can contain hazardous chemicals. Which think about that for a minute. Um, But but not um, putting those into the trash uh, is very important. They need to be properly disposed of at um, solid waste or hazardous waste disposal events. The other thing real quick is just food waste. We throw away so much food. So be really conscious and think about um, what you're doing, You know how much food you're purchasing and whether or not you're just throwing that away, whether it can be composted or, or put to better use. But um, really thinking consciously about all of that food. It's a big percentage. I don't know it off the top of my head, but of, of our waste is actually food waste.
0: All right, we're going to collect all of these tips, the phone numbers, the ideas, the websites, where to complain. We'll put them on a post on WDET.org for people um, to check out. I want to go in just a couple minutes we have left on the show. I want to go back to the phones. Aaron is calling from the west side. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today.
7: Thank you for taking my call. Good morning. Hello. Okay, first of all, I want to make this disclaimer. I'm not an expert by any means. Nothing I'm going to say is taking one side or the other. I'm just... uh, uh, in all of all the information I'm being given about this situation. But I have lived in Detroit my whole life, and I've always lived within a few miles of the incinerator my whole life. Uh, I've worked for the city of Detroit for more than 30 years. Uh, and so I'm going to make a point, but before I make that point, I wanted to say that there is no sweet-smelling way to deal with garbage. So the people complaining about the smell, it's going to smell no matter where it is or what form it's in. Uh, I don't believe that the sp- person, Mr. White's attitude, his uh, matter of fact, negative attitude is helpful uh, to dealing with uh, the people's complaints about it. Uh, but also, what I wanted to say was, this is a for-profit business, and we reward people in this society for uh, capitalizing and profit-making, and then uh, we want to do this this judgment thing about uh, they're thinking more about profit than they are people. They're not thinking about people. They're not thinking about the environment. They're thinking about profit. My point is this. We can't separate one aspect of our society or one problem in the society and separate it from the whole society that we've built. We've built a society where we don't care about our planet. We don't care about people. We only care about profit and money and power. And then we try to uh, dissect these little incidents that happen as if we can separate it from the whole. It won't, it won't work. As long as we're a for-profit society, everything is going to be about that.
0: Aaron, thank you for calling. And even though I have three really esteemed, educated guests in the studio, I'm going to leave that last word there with Aaron on the west side. I'd like to thank Aaron and all our callers today. And I'd like to thank our guests. We had a pre recorded interview with Stephen White from the Detroit Renewable Energy Company. I also have in studio Nick Schreck from the Transnational Environmental Law Clinic, Rachel Kleegan from Green Living Science, Guy Williams, Detroiters working for for environmental justice. Thank you all for being here.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. very much.
0: You've been listening to Detroit Today on WDET. I'm Sandra Swoboda, but this show is really produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Near. Program Director Joan Isabella, the Technical Director and Engineer, making us sound as good as we can, Matt Trevethan, Associate Producers Addie Wallace, Aaron Allen, Gus Navarro. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is WDET Detroit. Wayne's, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. Thanks for being with us.